0: Malachi chapter 1 is where we are together on a sermon series on leaving a legacy for the Lord and what that looks like in our lives. In the book of Malachi, give a little background of where we were last week. Last week was the first uh, point of of our message in the series together. God, when he speaks through Malachi, which means my messenger in Hebrew, he's sharing a series of, of messages to the people of Israel. In fact, he shares six of them. And these messages are particularly important because these are the last messages that God shares with His people uh, before He goes silent for 400 years at the coming, uh, which leads to the coming of Christ in the gospel. So, if you're looking for the Book of Malachi, it's actually the last book of the Old Testament, and it's just before the Book of Matthew in the New Testament. We talk about books of the Bible. Uh, The books of the Bible aren't put together chronologically, but it just so happens the Book of Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament according to the way chronology works itself out the books of the Bible are uh, categorized according to literary genre. And so the last books of the Old Testament are what's called the minor prophets. Doesn't mean that they're less significant than the major prophets, but what it means is the books are smaller. And so if you're one that likes to read books of the Bible and cross those off like you got that done, minor prophets are easier to do than the major prophets. But Malachi for us is a book about Leaving a legacy and what it looks like to be a difference maker for the cause of Christ in your lives and the lives of those around us. And the foundation for which God shares these messages in chapter one starts in a, in a pinnacle point for us and our relationship to God, anyone in their relationship to God. It is the foundation for which God has called you, which is, in fact, a relationship to Him. And so chapter 1, verses 1 to 5, God talks about his love for us. It becomes the foundation to all healthy relationships, understanding what it means to live in light of being loved and what real biblical love really is. A lot of times we talk about love, and it might mean infatuation or you have a strong uh, liking towards something. But biblical love is, is self, self-sacrificial for the benefit of someone else. And so God, when he talks about his love for us, the question of Israel is, how have you loved us? And he, and he gives that demonstration demonstration. demonstration to us in the first four verses. And then Israel's remark comes in verse five. In fact, uh, I I would give you the control today. And I got to turn around when I read this. This is not like Trying to be sacrilegious or anything with my back to you, but uh, we don't. We've had technical difficulties this morning, so we're operating on Plan B. And in verse five, though, he says this to Israel: Your your eyes will see this, and you will say, "The Lord be magnified beyond the border of Israel." And so, by their mouths they are professing this thought: God, oh, if you love us like this, may your name be great, Lord. And, and so, God follows that up with, well, "Let's just let's just see if this is really what you believe." And that's why I said this week, and I'm going to remind us again, uh, or said last week, I'm going to remind us again this week that the, the idea of Malachi and the six messages God gives to the people, they are difficult messages. They're, they're sort of like a, a, a gut check in, in where you are in your relationship with God. And so when I, when I talk about this message today, all these messages moving forward, here's what I don't want you to hear. If there's a place in your life where you've realized that you're not, you're not in line with the Lord, you've gone astray, I, I don't want you to hear condemnation, condemnation, you're horrible, you're horrible, you're horrible, now leave and feel bad. That's not what we want to achieve, and I don't think that's going to be healthy for us in our walk with the Lord. Rather, this is what I want us to hear. If there's a place in your life that you have strained from the Lord, know that God loves you because he's declared that in the first chapter and and what God desires for you is for you to walk with him. And so Jesus took care of our condemnation on the cross and because of that, we get to turn to him. We're going to actually read in in Revelation chapter two, this word for repentance. Every time I read the word repentance in church, I I despise reading it, not because the word repentance is wrong, not because it's not biblical, but oftentimes when we hear that word, we hear it in the wrong way. We've defined it religiously religiously, not biblically. And often when we say the word repentance, what we mean is penance, meaning I've got to go out, feel bad and, and show my, my, my worth to be able to be accepted by God, by how, how difficult I can make myself feel over the circumstances, which I've done, which is not biblical Repentance repentance means you look at where you're going and it's not in line with jesus and you turn and you walk with jesus that's what it means and so jesus paid for our condemnation on the cross so that we could walk with him in that there may be a place in our lives where we recognize that walking contrary to jesus has brought sorrow guilt shame to our lives maybe that's true in in, in what we've experienced apart from jesus but jesus wants us to walk in joy and newness and life in him and so when we turn to him we let go of the past walk in the newness of life in christ being shaped in his image, And so that's, that's what our desire is in this passage of scripture. And so God in verse five puts him to the test in that and says, okay, let's just examine if This is really what you desire. And so then he says this, a son honors his father. And we use this last week as an illustration that God, God is pictured in scripture as that of a father or a servant, his master. And we talked about this, this week that, that we are uh, that God is Lord and we are his servants under him. And then, then if I am father, where is my honor? And if I am master, where is my respect, says the Lord of hosts to you, O priest, you despise my name. Now we'll talk about this despising as we move on, but I want to categorize this word for priest for us in New Testament time. Uh, The word priest in Old Testament is different than the way the word priest is used in the New Testament. Old Testament, there were a particular group of people, the Levites, you'll see this in chapter two, that were selected by God to be the priests that operated in the temple. And from that, there was even the high priest. And in the temple, this the uniqueness of the temple that was built, there were only two rooms in the temple. And one of those rooms was only able to be used by the high priest. And he was only able to use it one time a year. So it's the equivalent of, like, Going to church But hanging out in the parking lot But these priestly positions were important to Israel Because the priest's job Was to represent the people of Israel before God and so the Old Testament picture of priest is, is an important picture for us to grasp because it adds meaning into the New Testament and the identity of who Jesus is. Because when we talk about Jesus, as we understand him after Malachi comes into the New Testament, Jesus becomes the fulfillment of everything practiced in the Old Testament, especially for the nation of Israel. God gave them a law. Jesus fulfilled the law. God gave him a temple. Jesus fulfilled the temple, became the temple, tore down the temple, rebuilt the temple in himself, and placed the temple within you. Jesus became, as they sacrificed lambs in the temple, Jesus became that Lamb of God. John pronounced him that way, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus fulfilled all of that. There are three particular offices in the Old Testament, if you give me a click, that Jesus in his role fulfilled in life. And so these are the verses. I'm not going to have time to go through all of these with you, but if you look at the book of Hebrews, that is what Hebrews is. All of the aspects of worship in the Old Testament, the people of Israel, and talking about Jesus being the fulfillment of all those things. And so when it comes, to the prophet it says in former times they spoke to us through the prophets but Jesus in this passage it says he is the last prophet the Bible talks about if I go to the bottom it talks about uh, oh God uh, the father talking to Jesus uh, saying in chapter 1 verse 8 that you oh God your throne is forever talking about Jesus' throne and and in Hebrews chapter 4 verses 14 to 16 it tells us because we have such a high priest who has passed from the heavens let us boldly come before his throne So Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of all of those. Jesus is the high priest. He is the prophet. He is the priest. He is the king. And because of Jesus' work, the Bible also calls you a prophet. Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 27, verse 51, as Jesus hung on the cross, he said, Tetelestai paid in full the price for your life. Jesus took to his account. He pays it in full. The temple veil is ripped from top to bottom, d- displaying that the presence of God no longer dwells there, but rather now the, the presence of God dwells within his people. In 1 Peter chapter two, verse five, this is what it says. You also... As living stones, referring to the building of the temple, you think the temple is built in stones. Now his people are those stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood. So it's saying to you, it's not this building that's sacred. It's God's people that are sacred. And so you are now a holy priesthood. It's not gender specific, but it's all of God's people possessing this. And and this is the reason why, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So it's because of Jesus that you hold this position before the Lord in verse 9 but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. So you belong to the king. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are God's people for God's own possession. And so we use this terminology in the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. Jesus is putting the priests, the the leaders of, uh, of the nation to the test of Israel. You are priests. You say you love me. Let's test this. But for us this morning, I think as believers in Christ, we need to recognize that, yes, all of us have leadership positions. All of us are influencing somewhere for the cause of Christ. But all of us have the ability to connect with God because of what Jesus has done for us. All of us carry this position of priesthood in Christ because of Jesus' crucifixion. And it's like saying this. You're going to build your life on something. And to use this word priest, that is a sacred thought. As if to sober our minds in the trajectory of life that we are living and saying, for what? What am I making it count for? God, if I, I really want your glory to go throughout this world. like We, we sang those songs this morning, uh, the worthiness of God and worship of him. And Jesus is saying, Let, let's, just, let's just test this and examine and, and see where you are. And he, he does this for the people of Malachi by, by calling particular things to, to their attentions. And so he says in Malachi chapter 6, he says, but you say, God, how have we despised your name? Every one of these sections that that God delivers to Israel, they ask a follow-up question to what he's declaring. And so then God gives an answer. You are presenting defiled food upon my altar. But you say, how have we defiled you? And that you say the table of the Lord is to be despised, but when you present the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you present the lame and the sick, is it not evil? When the people of Israel would go into to worship in the temple, there was a particular way that they were supposed to bring animals to, to the sacrifice. And Jesus is saying, you're not following that, that assignment of how sacrifices are supposed to be given to me. You're not giving me your best. Uh, you're giving me your worst. And the reason Jesus qualified what he wanted for sacrifice the way the reason the lord shared this with israel is because the sacrifice that they were to give was ultimately a, a sign of their love for god one but two it was a reflection of the perfection of jesus jesus is the lamb of god who takes away the sins of the world without spot or blemish let me give you an example of why that's so important If I were to say to God this morning on behalf of you, Lord, I want to die in their place. I want my life to count for theirs, Lord. Take my account and attribute it to them. I can tell you, if you know anything about my past, we would all get up and run. You'd be like, no, I'm better off by myself. Do not attribute your account to my life, please, right? But with Jesus... We want every bit of that account applied to our lives. The perfection of Christ. That when God sees me because of what Jesus has done in his perfection, he sees the beauty of Christ in my life. My, my sins are covered in, in the blood of Jesus in his sacrifice because of its perfection. And the sacrifice that took place in the temple was the demonstration of this. In fact, Hebrews chapter 10 verse 1, it just says that the sacrifices in the temple were a shadow of what was to come. Substance belongs to Christ. In fact, verse 10 to 14 of chapter 10 goes on to explain the detail of that. But what you see in this passage is that the priests, the ones that represent the people uh, uh, to God, the priests are accepting really the garbage or or lower standards of, of the nation of Israel from what God has described. Why? Why would they sell themselves short in the truth that God shares. Well, one, I think it's so they could eat. And the way the priests ate were based on the sacrifices that Israel brought to the temple. And so when they would bring the sacrifices that was what was left. And they came to the place where it's like I can stand for truth or I can eat. And so I'm going to lower my standards in order to have a provision for my life. And so they, they sold short for, for the ability to, to eat. And, and second, I think they wanted to be accepted by others. It's hard to say no. It's not fun to reject. You want to look cool, right? You want to be accepted. You want to you want to be appreciated. And, and so, in order to to keep stay in good graces of the people rather than the Lord, they they lowered their standards so they can continue to provide for whatever it is that they wanted to provide for in their lives and be accepted by others. They lost their stand in truth, meaning based on what God gave them they chose to love other things more than they loved standing for the Lord which leaves us with the question what what should we do as true priests in Christ I think when it comes to the stand that they made the stand would be rather than accepting the the food is it's, it's We love people at the point of sacrifice for them, not the sacrificing of animals, but the sacrificing of losing even what they come to offer because it's not what God has desired. And so we love them to the point that we would sacrifice by not allowing them to bring things that are contrary to the Lord, but encouraging them in Jesus. We love Jesus at the expense of sacrificing. In in, in a practical sense, in our lives, what it looks like is this, is that um, we love people wherever they are. We love people wherever they are. I mean, that's what Jesus came for, to, to, to transform us in our lives where we are. And we hold the standard. We don't lower the standard. We hold the standard. And it's not not to position those against one another, but it's to recognize in the midst of that that we love because Jesus loves and we hold the standard because that's what frees us. And so in in holding that standard, we see the grace and goodness of God that, that brings himself into our lives, that transforms us from the inside out. The tendency is when we let go of love or we, and we let go of the standard or we lower the standard, we compromise in communicating just how much we are in need of Christ. You don't see the perfections of, of Jesus when you're offering in the temple less than what Christ has required, which is supposed to be a shadow of Jesus in himself. When you become content with with less than what God calls us to, it, it calls us to, to compromise and, and less uh, uh, from what we need in Christ himself. Like I, I know in our culture, one of the things that we wrestle with is just saying, um, in trying to accept people, it's, uh, as long as you're good, that's, that's all that matters. Like that that's becomes a popular phrase, but can I tell you, that's contrary to Scripture. That's contrary to the significance of Jesus. Now listen, let me, let me share how that works within our culture in a way that, that's helpful and not hurtful. God made everyone precious, special, valuable. We're made in his image. We are made in his image, which makes every person in this world beautiful and worthy in the sense because of not because of anything that we've done, but because of what Jesus has done. They're human beings in the image of God. And, and being made in the image of God, we reflect God in our character, whether we acknowledge it or not. We, we live with characteristics of God, whether we acknowledge it or not. Love, joy, pace, peace, patience. Those, those are God's images and we may not even connect it to God. But that's also, that's also the tragedy of humanity. That creature would reject Creator. The one who gives you the grace to even continue in life and sustain in life and enjoy life. And we have separated from the one who is life. Being made for his purposes and his glory, it only makes sense that we connect it that way. And this is the way the Bible describes it to us in in Romans 5. We're enemies of God in Colossians 1 verses 21. We're hostile, it says, and we're aliens, meaning separated from Him. And even though we might reflect His character in this world, we still need reconciled. We need God's forgiveness, and here's the joy: He loves you. And the standard is you're still alienated, apart from Him. And that's why Paul said in, in Galatians two twenty one. If righteousness could be achieved through the law, Christ died needlessly. I mean, if there was another way, there's no reason for a cross, none at all. Who would want that? And so the sacrifice that's made in the temple, it's a demonstration of the beauty of Christ. And so priests, people of God, anything that you do in service to God, it is a demonstration of the worth of Christ in our lives. do compromise. I love when you read in scripture how Jesus, according to society, he hung out with the people that the religious people hated. He knew he loved. them, And he gave his life for them. It goes on in the, in the passage. And it says in, in verse 8 and 9. Why not offer it to your governor? Meaning, if you you think it's okay to offer these sacrifices to me, why not offer it to someone you think is important, right? Like a, like a governor or the president or something. And then it says this, Would he be pleased with you? Or would he receive you kindly? Says the Lord of hosts. But now, will you not entreat God's favor that he may be gracious to us? Which with such an offering on your part? Will he receive any of you kindly, says the Lord of hosts? What he's saying is this. We take the best from God and we offer him slop in return. You just think, how are we content with giving Jesus our sin? But then keeping the best for us. Um, Four weeks ago, we talked about, we're in the book of Jonah, chapter 2, talking about prayer. And I said, when it comes to prayer, one of the foundational things to think about as it relates to prayer is that prayer doesn't exist for God, God doesn't need your prayers, He's self sufficient. Which means when it comes to the idea of prayer, that the only reason that prayer exists isn't for his benefit, but rather for yours. I'm going to elaborate on that. Not only does God not need your prayer, he doesn't need anything you do. When we look at the temple and the sacrifices that are being made there... God's not asking them to sacrifice because he's in need of things that he's already created. I mean, he's the owner of them, regardless of the way any of us see it. He's the one that owns it. So he doesn't need any of that stuff from us. Acts 17, verse 24 to 25 tells us, God doesn't dwell in temples made by human hands as though he needed anything, but rather he is the giver of life himself. So the question then becomes, well, why does God want these things from us? I'll tell you why. It's not for his benefit. It's for yours. It's for mine. You might've um, seen this commercial on on, on TV, but it, there's a new Geico commercial out. It's called, uh, well, I call it alligator arm in it. I don't know how they describe it, but it's like the group of people sitting around at, at dinnertime and they go to pay the bill and the alligator pretends like he's going to, he's going to pay for it. He's like, I can't, I can't reach it guys. You know, he's just trying, ah. that's what God's saying. In, in in Malachi chapter one, verses eight and nine, like, uh, this is for your benefit and your alligator arm in it, man. <laughs> or maybe T-Rex. How's that work? <laughs> you don't even understand that the reason that I'm so passionate about what you're giving isn't for me. Why would God ask this of us if it's for our benefit? Why Can't let me just keep my stuff, man, all my time, (laughs) whatever I got, resources, talents. You think we're talking Malachi about a legacy. I think just a few reasons, and this is not conclusive, but when God is calling us to give, not for his benefit, but really ends up being for ours to his glory, it's this. One, you learn to grow in trust of him. Out of all the other things in life you can trust in by by the way that you you devote your life to him and your love for him, you're growing in your trust for him. Two, and we're going to add to this later, but the people around you are blessed by your gift and your demonstration of his worth in their lives. Meaning it, it goes beyond you. The effects go beyond you. And three, I would say this. It demonstrates that you're not owned by anything else. Um, If I just related it in the giving, this is sort of a monetary practice for Israel and the sacrifices that they're giving. They want to keep the best because they have more wealth and so they don't want to give God the best so they give give him the worst. Let me just just break that down for us and, and just a way to think about what God's doing for us in this passage by calling us to give. At some point in, in our culture, we recognize in, in America, we are, we are the wealthiest church to exist in history. And so what we'd expect from the church is that through the giftedness of the American church, all the world is blessed through that. That's what it should be. But somewhere along the lines, sometimes we, do, we, we dive into this thought that because I have more, I should possess more. And just think about that for a minute. Like, says who? Who? And why? When you start to possess more, there comes a place in life where you aren't really possessing anything anymore, but rather it is possessing you. I think in this passage, by giving God their best, it's a demonstration to their lives that God is their worth. In in fact, when you read uh, verse 10, this is what it says. Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the gates, that you might not uselessly kindle fire on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from you. He's like, just close the temple. Look, some of us may think that we're fooling God in saying with our mouths, verse five, God, I love you. Your glory go everywhere. But now I'm alligator arming it. God sees that. I had a word for that back in my day, on my street days. (laughs) It's called a poser. God's looking at our hearts in a condition where we're giving to him begrudgingly, whether it be talents or whatever. It, it can be anything. But the, when you think about your love for the Lord, your response to that, if you're doing it out of guilt, out of obligation, God's like, man, that's not love. I mean, you know, in your relationships in life, if you've got that friend like, oh, you gave me a gift, I guess I'll give you a gift. And you give that back, you're like, here it is. Like, that's not, that's not healthy. That's not good. That's not, gr- that's not love. That's not life-giving. It's like, if that's what it's come down to, just, just shut the gates. I want to know that you love me like I love you. That you aren't possessed by other things, time, whatever, resources, gifts, that I'm, I'm the one that you see as worthy. This is kind of a scary verse in Revelation 2. Uh, well, that's not right. Good, but... Did I put it in? I may not put it in. I'll read it out of scripture. Revelation chapter 2, verses 3 and, and three and 5. We're talking about the church. church in the church in the New Testament. Listen to what God says in this passage re- referencing the church of Ephesus. I, I went to this passage last week, but I want to read the full context. And you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. And then he says this. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first, which was loving others. Or else I am coming to you. And I will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. That word, that lampstand is the representation of the spirit in the church. And what God's really saying is, I'm closing your church. you see this say in the Old Testament, but it's not just an Old Testament phrase. It's a New Testament. That God would come and remove the lampstand from the church, which I I have looked at that verse. And I'm going to be honest and say, man, that has has scared me sometimes. Not not because I'm afraid that that's going to happen. But what, what, what I'm afraid of is that throughout America, there are people gathering like they're praising Jesus. But God ain't there. Statistically, in our country right now, 4,000 churches close every year. There's 400,000 total right now. So if you do the math, 100 years, nothing exists if it continues that way. But the whole point of Malachi is to share this with us, to awaken our hearts, to recognize beyond ourselves the legacy that this leaves and the impact it makes. And when God calls us to give towards him, it's not because he needs, it's not because he's beggar God. It's not even for his benefit. It's for ours. And if we really love him, when his glory is spread, the position of a priest isn't one that says, I, I hold this position as an alligator. Mm -hmm. Rather, I hold this position as a sacred place for for my benefit and the benefit of those around me, not just this generation, but all generations to come that we have opportunity to even praise God being hostile aliens to him that he has allowed us to recognize and and glorify in his name. And so he says this in, in verse 11. I should probably move faster. For from the rising of the sun, even to the setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense is going to be offered to my name. And a grain offering that is pure for my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you are profaning it in that you say the table of the Lord is defiled. And as for its fruit, its food is to be despised. So let's just say it like this. To Israel, Israel, you don't want to praise me, someone else will. Go on. You also say, my how tiresome it is! And you disdainfully sniff at it, says the Lord of Hosts. And you bring back what was taken by robbery, and what is lame or sick, so that you bring the offering. Should I receive that from your hand? Like you're robbing people and giving that to me. But curse be the swindler who is who is a male in his flock and vows it, but sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am the Great King, says the Lord of Hosts, and my name is feared among the nations. He's saying, remember the phrase, Lord of hosts? He's talking about a a warrior king prepared for battle with his army. It's like saying you met Mike Tyson in the back alley and you you thought that you would talk trash. (laughs) Like, if you need some advice on that, let me help you. Don't do that, (laughs) right? It's not not what God has called you to do. And, And he's saying this, that you're seeing it not even as a joy, but as tiresome. I know sometimes in our life you can get weary from ministry, but he's saying it's not good to be weary of ministry. One of the things I think that helps us just to remind ourselves why we serve the Lord is just to continue to answer the word the question why, why, why do anything for God at all? Why? I mean, reminding yourself as we did in, in verses one to four of the love of God being demonstrated in our lives, the privilege that we have in Him to magnify His name. However specific you want to make that becomes the foundation behind anything that you do. That's what makes this morning so special. The people of God gathering together, whether you've been a part of ABC or not, every soul that walks in our door, how important that is and what Jesus wants to do in us and how much he loves us regardless of where we're coming from in this and how much he calls us into something greater in him. And so then he does this in chapter two. And I'm only going to read these two verses to us because he he really gives two illustrations in in, in chapter two. He says this, oh, there's Revelation. Go ahead and skip that. (laughs) We know where to insert that second service. We'll get it right. Um, Malachi chapter two, verse three. Behold, this is a gross verse. Remember I told you Malachi, it's got some hard verses. Here's one. Behold, I'm going to rebuke your offspring. I I picked the uh, cleaner version. I'm going to rebuke your offspring, and I will spread refuse, that's poo-poo, on your faces. And that refuse of your feasts, and you will be taken away with it. That is gross, right? Talk about the things the Bible says. (laughs) So God's saying, uh, just so you get the point of what's happening here, you're going to be covered in it, and your kids are going to suffer. I don't think what God's doing is necessarily showing up and just punishing kids. But what I'm saying, what I think he's saying is this. When you don't live for the Lord in your life and you're not devoted to him, we don't really recognize beyond ourselves how deep that consequence goes. In, in, in the temple, when they would sacrifice animals, a part of the sacrifice included taking certain parts of the animal outside of the temple and burning it. It was a representation of sin. They'd walk out of the temple, burn that. And and that would be part of the refuse that came out of the animal. And God's saying, look, this this stuff that you want to get rid of, how about we just bring it all out? I mean, you want to throw your, give me all your bad stuff, but just ignore me and living for my glory in any other way. But how about this? How about we just leave it all there and just let you deal with it? Even in the next generation. becomes so important for us to see just the sacredness of what it means that the, this, this idea of being a priest, that Jesus has torn the temple veil and given us access to him wherever we are. That is so sacred, not just for us. Frederick Nietzsche, who was uh, the one who pronounced the phrase century ago that God, God is dead, he said this, and looking at the 20th century, he told us that it was going to be the bloodiest century in all of human history. Because once you, you lose the framework of, of God at all, everyone's left to their own interpretation of what's true. And, and, and so what ends up happening is we all pursue our own ways and we fight over that. And not only was he right, but if you add all of the previous 19 centuries together, there were still more deaths in the 20th century than any other. That to me, it's refuse. But then he says this in verse 7 For the lips of a priest should preserve knowledge, and men should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. what it's saying for us as a people of God verbally proclaim his glory in our worship that we live for that glory in our hearts and we demonstrate that glory with our lives God in this chapter is saying don't fool yourself in the legacy you're leaving Saying something and doing the opposite is not a legacy. You may wear the title of priest, but God sees your alligator arms. <laughs> Poser. It's like, um, I know you're familiar with Charlie Brown, right? And Charlie Brown would go and say something to his mom. And you know what we hear? wah, 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 wah. You think about the Lord. If our heart's not aligned with Him and it doesn't really desire His glory, that's really all our worship becomes in the morning as we lift our voices to God in the reading of His Word. There they are. Rather, be a priest. Be God's people. Be the group that turns the tide for the glory of God for the sake of the legacy of the people around you. Look, I don't don't think it's on our shoulders. But rather we get to the point to the one who rested on his shoulders. Serving God isn't because he needs it. It's because we need it we need it for each other. We need it for the way that God grows us in it. And so you get to the end of this message and let me just remind us this this last thought. Remember the foundation of all of Malachi. It isn't just to throw guilt on us. It's to remind us that God loves us. God loves us us man he has called you to so much in this world and for you to be able in recognizing that because you know he is a gracious God that loves you even even if your heart's timid even if you're like man God doing that just seems so challenging to me but but Lord I recognize it's not for you it's for my well-being and in this this is where you grow me And this is where you grow us. God, I'm giving it to you. I'm gonna give it to you and I'm just gonna trust in you in this and watch what you do in us and through us. Repentance isn't penance. It's a word intended for our delight in God so that we can rejoice in him and enjoy Him all the days of our lives. This message has been brought to you by Alpine Bible Church in Lehigh, Utah. If you'd like more information, please visit us online at alpinebible.com.